welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. From all our editors and contributors, we wish you a happy new year. So to kick things off, I'm here with Vico Nitschi as his debut feature, Cellar Doors, about to hit cinemas. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you, welcome. First off, I got to see your film last night. I was watching it on my high-definition television, so it wasn't... Thank you for watching it on a TV. On our sneaky screeners that journalists get to watch, because we're spoiled. Yeah, I hate those things. Necessary evils. But did you like it? What did you think of the film? Um, I actually thought it was excellent. Not to say that I was surprised. It was just very different to what I thought it was from the marketing that I had seen I'm I'm going to be very very careful during the course of this not to give anything away for okay. people listening yes. because there's so much that's been the minefield of doing interviews yeah yeah yep, but I will to. touch on things and I think there's a few questions that I'm going to ask before we get into the film which um and we will in, in good depth um first of all can you tell me a little bit about your background so you were an actor first uh, no, no, I wasn't no? an actor. Yeah, I, I mean, I have been. You had I, good I have good few roles for not an actor. <laughs> Is there really? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I got to get rid of those. Um, no, I have uh, been in front of the camera, but really, it was all as part of my journey to direct. Um, uh, I, you know, I grew up in New York, making films, trying to recreate what we saw on, in the in the cinema at the time as teenagers in Brooklyn which included things like Terminator. <laughs> so we had a, a low of budget, too. which is perfectly easy. Yeah, very low budget. Our liquid metal effects were made from tinfoil, actually, and stop animation. And so they the original were Sweden, really. I think yeah. so, yeah. Uh, I just worked on sets and, you know, came here about 20 years ago and, and um, you just continued to be involved in different, in, in many different kind of uh, roles in, in film and training and theater. Um, and then, you know, in a way, when you get on, sat for a film like Cellar Door, which is, you know, it doesn't have all the money all the time in the world, but it has exactly what we need. You're putting together all those skills uh, day to day, you know, so you, you understand what the actors are going through. You understand what the crew are going through because you've done a lot of those roles. So it was all part of the journey to get to get to, to where I'm now making making films as a director. Perfect. And you I was you mentioned there that there was very little money. I will definitely ask you more about the producing element, but okay. just as a, as a comment I did not that's not immediately obvious because I well, had said to Stephen I was like obviously they had a good few bob <laughs> yeah no we did we had what we needed we you know like let me say this um the film started with uh, a smaller budget in mind because it started as a project that was supposed to be directed by film base students you know when the film base master's program was going on which I've always said is you know one of the if not the best uh, production masters, uh, or any training, uh, you know, anywhere. Uh, they were doing a, a one or sometimes two feature films a year. And this was, I think it was the second year. Um, and at the time, actually, there was a big group. So there was this uh, structure to the course where there's three directors. So there's three sections of the film, kind of scenes that she experiences again and again, and she changes, you know, every time she experiences. That was really designed for three different people to do. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it was, yeah. it, you know, that was one of those things where uh, I was, uh, by the time it came about for me doing it, I had very little time. And there was um, a, a combination of things. The story out of Galway with the babies in tomb, that was heartbreaking. And I wanted to do something that touched upon that and that kind of heartache that so many people felt. Um, and anger. And I anger, you yeah. Get, you can get and, a little bit yeah. of that kind of subtle rage from. Yeah, and this is not so anger. subtle. You know, yeah. there's a bit of a F you, you know. Um, and then there's this character of 80, 
um, which I had in mind. When I combined the two, I thought it was a very unique perspective. Uh, but I had like very little, you know, I had what turned out to be eight days to write the script. And it was fine because there's no pressure of having to do it. Uh, but there was a sensibility to keep it tight and not rambling and keep it very, very focused. So that was a built-in trait to the film where it didn't need so much. Now, you know, we got what we needed, but, it, it, you know, we were able to finance it very, very um, kind of with one yes, essentially. Uh, what happened was... David Collins from Samson Films, who's, who's an incredible producer and I worked with, with uh, in Coming Home, um, he read the script and he's like, you're doing this. This, this has got to be your first narrative feature and let's do it together. Uh, there's a huge other story there where I ended up getting another script for the students to do, which I think everyone wanted above this, ironically enough, and they made it. It was a great film. And I ended up making Cellar Door. Um, you know, when we got together with David um, to figure out what the best version of this is and what the best scale of it uh, I was looking for that tight kind of light on its feet production where we had tons of prep time which we did you know it was a 20-day shoot um, which we didn't use the full 20 days even it was shorter than that and a long edit you know to really make it come together and really the edit is what makes the film the edit is what rediscovered the script that fast pace of the script yeah it's like a downhill ski race it's like i always visualize like an arrow flying through the air until it hits the target um and the reason why it all happened so fast like a fever dream of a script is because i knew what that target was yeah the script started with that ending the last kind of eight or ten minutes uh and then it was about pulling it back and letting the story go there and i think that's what works about the sequence why everybody reacts to that sequence yeah. and and you know a big a big part of i think the um the success of the film and the edit was rediscovering the kind of imagery and the cuts uh, and the focus yeah. for that ending. Whereas the production was, was, you know, we started off in a different way, actually. We started off in much more fluid, dolly, steady, steady cams, all this, and it just wasn't working. Um, so where the production kind of found its pace was day four when we started reshooting days one, two, and three, which is a very risky thing to do, but that's what we did. Uh, to, again, go back to, uh, you know, it sounds kind of abstract, but the truth of the character. Yeah. It's not abstract to those who've seen the film. Yes, of course. <laughs> it's very atmospheric. There's the, the writing is very tight. It's very engaging. Um, and like that, there's like an aesthetic and like, a, again, an energetic flow to it that I don't know how you achieve that. It's very hard to do. Um, do you think because you were the writer, it was you kind of had a better concept of it, so was able to navigate that? Like, how did you work with your DUOP as well? So I'm very interested in how you got well, it. Well, there was two stages of the DP Rob Flood, who's who's amazing. We were in the trenches together, filming a documentary called Coming Home in New York, um, and with in, you know we were a two man band then, and with no crew, he was able to create the most beautiful film in that doc, um, and. If you pause there for a second, just in the storytelling, because yeah. that's where we got back to. Because yeah. what happened was, when we got the opportunity to do Cellar Door, we went, you know, we had the resources and we had the equipment and we had the lenses we wanted and the cameras we wanted and the, the grip gear. And we prepped for a long time a different film in Cellar Door. We prepped a smooth, flowing, fluid, kind of steady cam, uh, long dolly shots and, 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 and long single takes. I mean, I think... Our version of Cellar Door could have been done in 50 or 60 shots in the whole mm -hmm. film. That was very much the style. And that's 
style survived into shooting. We, you know, we started shooting that way for the first couple of days. And it was, you know, never forget that Wednesday, day three, late into the night, we broke free from that and said, okay, let's go back. Let's go, let's rediscover that connection we had uh, in coming home where we didn't know what was going to happen in front of us and we had to be very kind of proactive and very engaged in what was going on as opposed to executing a game plan that happened in the past. Uh, forget the storyboards, forget the shot list, all that goes out the window. Um, let's just move the camera. And we, we, we broke it out of that and we spent the next four weeks walking past all those, you know, all the pretty dollies um, and gave it, gave the film, I think, the, the energy it needed. So well, working with... So work, I was going to say, it's almost like when, you know, when Marty McFly was recast yeah, as Michael yeah. J. Fox and it would have been a totally different piece yeah. tonally, like a oh, completely yeah. different piece. Completely, yeah. completely. And it was, it was risky. I remember on Thursday morning bringing in the first AD and saying, what do I have on the Friday? And then he said this, this and that and actors and, you know, I said, bring that for today. Bring everything from Friday today. Clear Friday. And he's like, why do you want to clear Friday? You know, I was like, because I want to start reshooting last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And that's what we did. We took all that style and reshot those scenes. So it was a lot of calls to everyone saying, okay, we're going to do it again. And it was a dramatically different style. And it was a style that's like really suited the film. But it also created um, a lot of pressure in the edit because mm -hmm. you had a, you know, the way we were shooting is, you know, we let a scene run and then we would, we, we would kind of snake the camera around. Uh, so as Karen, you know, who, who brilliantly portrays AD in the film, has said, it's head-to-toe acting all the time, every yeah. take. So there's she no coverage. phenomenal. Yeah, she is good, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, like, she is just phenomenal in this. Like, there's... She has such range. She, she really embodies that character and makes, you know, and really kind of brings the fight. And I mean, and it's complex. It's hard to do. When, yeah, yeah. It's a very challenging role, but she was all in. And, and, you know, so much like blocking and movement yeah. and everything, even yeah. and no, no, no continuity, that. no script supervisor. No, you know, we just, we just did it. <laughs> well, luckily for the, for the subject matter, continuity isn't the yeah. most important. No, part it's not. It. No, but yeah. it was, it's tough because there's, um, you know, she does, exp the character experiences these shifts in time. So there's, there's a couple of scenes that she, she revisits and uh, with full awareness. So she's changing the scenes as she's you know as she's going back so karen having kept track of where she's in the script uh did a brilliant job in that she so she knew exactly where she was in the journey even though you're shooting it out of order of course and and even though we're doing and we're you know we weren't doing a huge amount of takes but every take we're doing the whole scene and we're we're going whipping back and forth across the actors and you could be on her hand when she's delivering a performance and then needing to choreograph the camera movement up to her face to the line and a lot of stop and go and a lot of very kind of, um, you know, it was just kind of kinetic directing. It was very much hands-on. Uh, and she just took it in stride, staying in character all the time and just, just you know, doing an outstanding job. As well as Rob. I got to say, a lot of, you know, my job, uh, I think the biggest influence I had over the film is editing. And when you're sitting over the footage, you realize that what I'm doing is, is there was a choreography between the camera operation and cinematography, i.e. Rob Flood, and then Karen's performance in so many of the scenes. She carries the film. She's, you know, it's, it's, it's mainly her character we follow. Um, and the movement between the two, the blocking, the kind of, just the, like both of their performance nearly, it's like figure skaters. And that's what makes the footage what it is. That's what makes it, I think, special. So um, I'm going to jump back a little bit to the production side of things. So David Collins, 
said, yes, we're going to try and make this. What was the funding process like then? Uh, you're a producer on it as well. I you? am, yeah, yeah. yeah. So all the hats. A lot of hats, mm-hmm. a lot of hats in this one. Um, and a lot of decisions. Uh, so we, we just, you just have to make the, you know, it's usually binary, you know, this or that. And you have to make sure you're trying to, you know, keep the thing on, this, on, the, on the right path. Um, the finance process, we wanted one yes. Uh, that was going to be the film board. Um, and there was Mary Callery at the time who was in the film board, was a champion of the script. She loved the script. We met with Mary and, you know, she had great thoughts on it. We did a draft. I think, I think we did, you know, draft two was with the film board and then we put it in for production finance and they said yes. Um, you know, we, we had an amount that we wanted to do it for, which was, you know, all we needed. And it was all about finding the right, you know, the right actor, uh, which took a while, but we found Karen and the right space. So we shot in Harold's Cross, this you know amazing old seminary that was, I think, on the verge of being turned into apartments, uh, and and based there for for most of the time. Uh, and once we had the right kind of, um, I guess, location and the right cast, and we rounded it out with an amazing ensemble with Marco Halloran, Catherine Walker, Leah McNamara, so many great people in the film. Uh, you know, we needed a space to contain it because the film is 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 quite contained, and that. That, gave, that was half the battle, you know? We found the right space, and we found a space where we can work in for many months before in order to prep. So I always say, you know, a great idea is cheap enough if you have it early enough. Um, so we had all the great ideas, and we were able to, to execute, you know, enough of them, I guess, to, to have the film uh, be released in front of audiences. Excellent. But, but again, I was saying I thought you had the big books, but the casting process, um, again, you had... It was, it was, relatively speaking, a small enough cast but incredibly good great chemistry there's a lot of kind of subtleness that like there's a lot of shifts there's a lot of intrigue how did you kind of get the actors into the heads of their characters and how did you work with them together then well you know that whole process starts with with the auditioning process and the casting process led by louise kiley who's brilliant who's, who did a phenomenal job um once you get the right people you don't have much more time than like a coffee or or maybe two if you're lucky during prep. So you get on set and it's just about, you know, making sure that everybody understands what the intention is of what you're trying to do and then giving them the space to bring in their own interpretation, you know, intention, interpretation. And and when when both of those things are coming together in ideal world, you're 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 creating something new. And that's what I think everybody's looking for. Um, it's, it's funny where if you have something in mind with a performance and then you get what you have in mind, it's usually flat or bland or there's no spontaneity. I think film, the big challenge, you know, the other question about the documentary is interesting because with docs, there's this notion that, that what happens in front of the camera is the first time it happened because that's usually the truth. There's no take two or there's no second camera or, the, you know, it just happens. And then you, if you're lucky, you capture it very much like theater, you know. Even if a show is run for 100 performances, when that audience sees it, it's the first time the actor has said that line that night. So this first time every time is what I'm always after. So a lot of the times that can only happen is when um, an actor has room to interpret and a room to give something that you never imagined in all the scenarios of how you saw the scene. Uh, and once you get that, you usually move on. You know, so so that's what you'd be looking for. You'd be looking for them having the understanding of the character and, and the role, and then, you know, 
you know, if you did, if you did your job right, and, and I think we all did in, in, in this film, you've cast right. So it's a lot of the actors just being themselves and their own vibe, their own flow, their own energy um, uh, funneled into the scene that you're shooting. And as a director, which is the performance that would be have been the most different and the most surprising from what you had in mind? I think all of them, to be honest. I think they're all... I think that when you're writing a script and, and if you're directing a film and you're reading the script, um, the performances in your head only get so far. They're just filtered through one voice, your own. Uh, and, you know, it's nearly like blank-faced mannequins in your head. And, and you're always, you know... It, you, have to, you have to bring it into a new space, a new interpretation. So they're all very, very different. And in a way, when I go back and look at any of those pages or the process, now I'm seeing, you know, these actors in it. You know, they've kind of, it's a bit like watching a biopic and, and you know, you, you picture Johnny Cash as Joaquin Phoenix or whatever, you know, it's, it kind of rewrites history in that way. And I think, you know, great performances do that. And I think, you know, the crowd in Cellar Door have absolutely done that for me. They've, they've made it into something beyond what I thought it could be. And with regards to the edit process, so how much, you were saying that took a long time. How long did yeah. that take? The edit process was funny. It was, um, I think, nine or ten months. You oh know? my God. And it was archaeology. We were, shooting, we were shooting a lot and we were, there was no continuity and we were very, very free-flowing with the camera. Um, and... I, you know, in the script, if you go back to how I wanted to shoot it, there was always these match cuts and they're in the script between scenes. So a lot of the original um, intention was, you know, you shoot, you know, a one or two page scene in one or two shots and you pick your favorite take and then you match cut it with the next scene. You know, this happened five or six times in the script, you know, maybe eight times. Um, When we started shooting it, I realized, you know what, let's try to do it all the time. And the edit was about finding that. It w- there's a flow to the edit where every scene has some kind of transition based on the gesture of an actor or, you know, or she stands up in one location, ends up in another, and we don't know when the cut happened or when the transition happened. Or as you can see in the trailer, a number of these are showcased. You know, she, she begins a turn in one location and finishes it in another. Um, and it's all part of the, the, her conflict and all part of what she's going through in terms of this kind of confusion and this kind of mystery that she's trying to unravel. And once one or two of those cuts were made, you know, and then three or four and then five or six, you know, you know ended up being 1,500 of them, you know, and then ended up, you know, doing that same style across the whole entire film. Um, I did the first act and I knew it was a special take. It was a special type of edit. Uh, but I, I didn't know whether it can it can sustain the rest of the film because you know it just the footage wasn't you know like it wasn't it wasn't designed to do it as much as I I needed it done at that point. So I went ahead and jumped forward and and cut the third act. And I was like, okay, if I can end it in this voice, then I can figure out the middle. And that's how the edit process went. So you know people would watch the rough cuts, and the first act would be you know it'd be great, and all the notes would be in the second and third act, and then I do this to the third act and then all the notes would be in the second act and this continued going on until there were no notes until it was just fluid it was one complete thought so in a way there was only one draft of the edit which is taking it from the assembly to this fine cut because you know when you watch the film you'll see or when audiences watch the film they'll see it's very much like meshed together like the cut is the cut and and a lot of times it's hidden you can't see where it is um, as a matter of fact, when we were grading the film and you have to kind of reopen those projects, um, 
I was rediscovering edits that I made that I forgot were there because I've been watching it and not seeing where the cut was, you know? So, so it was, it's what elevates the film. I think it's what makes it unique. Um, and it's what took the most amount of kind of creative effort and, and the biggest leap of faith because it's one of those things where it, it has to be sustained over the whole 90 minutes for it to work. Because if you get to a point where it starts becoming traditional or feeling like coverage or anything boring, um, that which was against what the journey of the character was, uh, then then there's nearly no point in doing it because it's it's half done. So that was a big risk, you know, and it was a risk that you needed to spend the nine or ten months in the edit, uh, maybe eleven months, uh, to to see whether it paid off, and I think it did. So that's longer than it takes to gestate an entire human being. <laughs> was there yes. any point during that process yeah. that you were like, more I actually want to go to, well. I want to, I want to set this on fire? Oh yeah, <laughs> so I yeah. This one more kidding? time. Absolutely, every single night of that process. Yeah, you're you're you know, oh, there was you know, I'm. Working through the night and you know cursing at the screen, you know, um, it's it's it was like archaeology and it was it was tedious and it was painful, um, you know. But what I always had to rely on is the brilliant cinematography and the brilliant performance, and those are the two things really. That's what was shuffling together, you know. But you know, if I needed the camera to pan right and it pan left, you know, it, it was one of those things where on set we could not have known how the edit was going to be or 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 what was required on set. We were just you know, instinctual on set, and then to have an instinctual edit just needed a lot, a lot of time. There's a lot of footage and a lot of time to stay true to that, I guess, intention of the set. It sounded very, um, you were kind of showing your documentary roots as well by editing in that way. Yeah. Um, what was it like watching with the audience for the first time? Um, it's, you know, I always feel like my job is done. You know, I feel like if... So you don't sit there with the audience going... I watch the audience, yeah. but I don't... I mean, look, there is a bit of that because you want them to like it, obviously. Yeah. There's, this is the age of Netflix and the age of a million films, and, and it's very difficult to get to get attention or to get somebody to sit through. And it's not only films. It's, they can watch any number of entertainment uh, you know, things out there in any number of different formats. Um, so, you know, and I'm really kind of conscious of that and respectful of people's time. So even in Galway, every time, or any, any screening, even a cast and crew or whatever screenings, you know, we're going to release this uh, on the 25th uh, to select cinemas throughout the country. And I feel for every one of those screenings, I'm thankful that they decided to spend those 90 minutes, you know, watching this film. Uh, so I feel appreciative. And that's how I feel usually when I'm sitting in the back of a screening. So I just feel thankful for it. And then you hope that they like it or you hope they enjoy it. Um, with this film, you can kind of see the markers. You know, there's there's a scene where it cuts to a close-up of her writing, and the whole audience goes like this. <laughs> they turn their heads to the side, uh, and you and and the shot happens so fast, but you know when you know 90% of the people are doing this, they're they're, they're in engaged. it. Yeah, they're engaged. Yeah. So there's a lot of markers in the film and in the edit where I see the reactions. Um, you know, so you know you're looking out for them naturally, uh, but of course you're looking for me. I'm looking for the tears at the end. I'm like. Give me all the tears. I want an emotional connection. That's what I want. And and there is there you know when when the when the mystery unravels you know seventy or eighty minutes into the film, that's when you know whether you have an emotional connection with the audience or not. Um, so yeah, there's always a bit of apprehension waiting for that moment. But overwhelmingly, I'm just thankful that people decided to give their time, a festival or wherever. To, you know, to watch this film. There's so much out there. It's so much out there, you know? It's certainly tonally just very different to what 
has been the status quo for a while when it comes to like regional films or even indie films. I think the energy is, is a big part of that. Even we have given a lot away, but we've actually given nothing away. No, so, very carefully like, so. Very carefully. Like, I mean, you will go in after hearing all of this and be like, that is not what I expected, which is, yeah. I mean, I watched the trailers, I had read the press for it and I was like, this is just not at all that so yeah look and I think the best films are certainly oh thank you I'm glad I'm glad it stands out because I think the best films stand I think the best you know pieces of theater and pieces of art stand out and they're outliers and you know you're making something you're hoping to make something that's um, a singular voice and a unique voice something that hasn't been said before in a way that hasn't been said before and you know like as much as what's out there now to be honest I'm a bit tired of the kind of the big superhero films or the kind of razzle-dazzle films, the, you know, it just feels like we've seen it, what's new, we've seen it, what's new. And that's not to say they're not great, it's just, you know, you just want some kind of counter-programming as well. You know, I'm coming like from, you know, like the days of the, the, the 90s and like the mementos and the, 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 you know, Six Senses and the Irreversibles, mad films. And It did, the, um, when I was watching it at the very beginning, I got the memento from it I was like what and you and I I did think that even when there's and this is in the very first scene but she had a little thing written in her hand and I was like and I had that kind of um it's because it is a thriller and mm. there's no revealing that there's mystery involved yeah uh, so I definitely got that and then when I thought about the name I was like is the cellar do- door a nod to Donnie our good old friend Donnie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 inspired by the same thing that inspired them, which is it's mm. supposed to be the amongst the most beautiful sound of the English language, which is where Donnie Darko had. I mean, Donnie Darko is another film, you know, kind of special effects film. Oh no, uh, completely different. Yeah, yeah, but but a beautiful film yeah. and 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 an engaging film. You know, these films where you know you watch a lot of these films now, and and if the credits roll, and then that's that. It's, you've enjoyed it, and hopefully it's been great, and, and you've passed the time, and then that is it, right? There's nothing else to engage with or think about. Whereas some of these films that we're talking about, Donnie Darko and, and Memento, is the credits roll, and you're thinking back, oh yeah, it was, that's why they did that. Or, you know, there's an engagement. There's like part of the formula is always the audience, and that's the part you can never write or you can never account for. So, I'm a, you know, a film like this, I think, leaves room for that engagement and talking about it afterwards and, and you know, letting it resonate. You know, so that's what I was looking to do. Yeah, and I think it works because definitely audiences have been ruined in the past few years. Like, it's very hard to get something fresh and new because, I mean, there's so many times you're just flicking through Netflix and you're like, this is a variation on the same thing that I've mm-hmm. been watching the whole time, which is why it's so difficult to do something that's fresh. Yeah. Um, but I do think this manages to do that and just stand out in an area where, where it's all been done before. Yeah, is, yeah. Well, that's what I'm hoping. I feel like it does stand out. I think that was always the intention. And and we, we, we had to, you know, like... The film, it was not automatic, you know, like the script stood out and everybody loved the script, Um, but then it had to be a production and the production went the way it went and then it had to be an edit and the edit had to stand, you know, like every stage the film very much dies and has to be reborn and now you're in a weird stage of the film where we're talking about it without giving it away or, you know, or setting up an audience to see it so they understand that it's, it's different, but they also, you know, are hopefully... Um, uh, in the right mind frame to, to receive something that's different. 
you know because if you're if you're expecting a horror it's not you know if you're in so you can't really sell that and you can't sell um you know you can't sell what what it's really about because then you lose the enjoyment of it so you're, you're trying to be careful as i am now with the words say listen go see it trust me um you know and then talk to me after it's you know one question I did want to ask is, is there anything that if you went back and traveled through time to you as you were writing the script, what would you tell yourself to do or not to do? I would tell myself, uh, be careful planning underwater shoots. Oh, God. <laughs> I would say be very careful planning <laughs> oh, underwater no. shoots is what I would tell myself. You know, media insurance uh, gonna claim listen. that. Time no, today. no, no, nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. Yeah. Um, it's just it takes. Let me just say this: it takes a lot of energy to heat up water. Oh no! <laughs> so that was a bit of a nightmare. Um, uh, you know, it's funny when 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 we were talking about doing the film, I did a pass, like what I call the kind of production pass, um, which was really the kind of second draft of the film, uh, and and I did look out for anything that would be troublesome in a shoot. One of the things that left was a cat. I had a cat in the film weaving through the, through the film and I was like, you know what? You know, I don't, I don't want to deal with a cat on set. I don't, I don't want to rely on a cat. See, you know, that's performing. what happens when you're your own producer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> See, yeah, if you were yeah. the director, you'd be like, I want 10 cats. Yeah, you yeah, get yeah. them for me. <laughs> but if you're your exactly. own producer, you're like, oh no. <laughs> oh, listen, you wear, you wear different hats, but you wear them at different times. That's yeah. the key. So when you're on set, you do think like a director because you have to. But before then, when you're, when you're responsible for some of the decisions, you do wear your d producer's cat or <laughs> cat. You wear your producer's <laughs> you wear hat and you think get rid of the cat, you know. Um, although the writer and the director would have wanted it, and maybe the editor, but certainly not the producer. And, and I'd say the editor wouldn't have wanted it either, because if it performed, yeah. if it performed, I just didn't want to be waiting for a cat to do, you know, to be a cat uh, on call, you know. Um, but yeah, we, you know, there was an underwater uh, thing that was not that was very cold. I'm still cold thinking about it. Oh no. Um, and then, what other stories? A, what do you think draws you to a good story? And what is just even like abstract things that you go to? And what other stories are you interested in telling in the future? Um, I have a few, uh, you know, a few things that are, that are certain that I'm interested in telling. And what draws me, what, what they all have in common is, is, uh, um, is really the ending, is, is that feeling that you have when you finish something. And that's what this script had for me. Uh, that's what I'm working on another script at the moment, um, about it's a true story set in Sarajevo um, and it's every page you're on works towards that final beat I think it's so important it's nearly like a the structure of a joke it's it it all counts everything that's said counts towards the punchline and it's not about a surprise or twist it's just about satisfaction or closure um, so it's that it's that feeling when the credits roll of wanting to keep thinking about it and, and being excited to, to keep on thinking about it you know the feeling of let's go for a coffee or a drink or whatever, stay in the lobby and, and, and keep talking about the film. I mean, a lot of the films you're talking about earlier, you still talk about 20 years later. You know, you talk about those moments or, you know, you talk about, um, like, Cellar Door and Donnie Darko. You know, when was Donnie Darko? When was that? It was about oh, like 1999 or yeah, something like that. 20 years ago yeah. nearly, you know. Um, and, and you're talking about one beat in, in a film from that long ago, and that's the engagement I'm always drawn to. So it's not... It's not finished when the film is finished. The engagement is not finished. That's the big thing for me. I wanted to hear a little bit about it. You've got very positive responses to it so far. What have they been? Oh, it's, they've, been, they've been like humbling, mind-blowing. The, yeah. They've been phenomenal responses. 
um, for the film. Because it's a sensitive enough subject to a lot of people yeah. that they care about it. So it's curious to see how people react. Yeah, yeah. And and on, on two fronts. There's yeah. there's the, the, the spoiler-free front of, of, you know, a woman looking for a kid and kind of trapped in this nearly like a, like a Magdalene Laundries type story. And then there's the other side of it. Um, and people are affected uh, by both sides. So our first public screening in Galway was was incredible because that whole weekend people were coming up to me um, that were affected by the issues of the film and and like were really appreciative of the film and and how it represented those issues. Uh, so yeah, the, the response has been phenomenal because you never when you're sitting in the studio cutting, you, you know, you hope that engages that way, but you don't really know until it goes out in the wild. And now it's going out. In, truly in the wild general like film festivals tend to be favorable you know um now it's just out in you know out in the real world so the screenings the 25th 25th of january until uh until people stop coming ah that's <laughs> open-ended open-ended just yeah go, just go for the first two keep weeks going, just yeah. in case like i wouldn't leave it oh, absolutely, for, yeah. for a year just keep, in case. keep going yeah yeah um, have a look it's in it's in a few cinemas all over the country and uh, yeah um uh it's you know See it, see it, and engage and talk about it. That's and the point. Are you doing any Q and A's? I am. Yes, there's a Q and A in Dundrum on the 25th, and there's one in Galway, I think, on the 30th. But it'll be up. It'll be up. I think um, the film has a has a Facebook page, Cellar Door. If so you just Cellar Door. yeah, have yeah. a look at Cellar Door, um, or at Welcome Pictures is another one. At Samson Films is another one. Any one of those, I'm sure we can we can post all that and of, stuff. Of course, we'll have a lot on filmireland.net. So. Please, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm terrible with all the social media stuff. I'm awful at it. Um, but yeah, I'm sure through Film Ireland, through wherever you're hearing this, uh, January 25th. That's the date. Yeah, go see it. Excellent. And again, we heartily recommend that you do. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you very much for your kind thoughts on the film and for having me. Appreciate it. Excellent. And thank you for listening to the Film Ireland podcast. So we have a weighty back catalogue of podcasts for you to uh, browse through at your leisure. And make sure you check out filmireland.net for all the latest news, reviews and interviews.